This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave in the Melbourne Law Studio, Melbourne Law, the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Gaitners, full service legal firm uh, won't back down and protected by crime prevention 24 7 365 so uh we are um, up and running here today on friday we have a great guests checking in with us in a moment and we'll be uh talking with our our guests for today it's going to be about the rising uh, cost of health care and particularly focusing on obamacare which never got repealed and uh, you know all the above so uh, if you have any questions, we do have our phone line open today, but um, we uh, will be holding you in the, in the uh, room until we uh, make sure we can put you in a, a regular time to talk. So um, a guest is visually with me. Uh, we'll see if he's uh, prepared to talk to me. Uh, welcome, Dean. Can you hear me fine, sir? I hear you fine. Good, good. And you seem to be located and ready to go. Well, uh, let me introduce our guest to you. It's Dean Clancy. It's a senior policy fellow at AmericansProsperity.org. And if you want to take a look at them, they are a libertarian group that looks at um, specifically, I believe, healthcare issues, but other issues are conservative issues from that point of view and that prism. And we certainly need that voice in the mix because we know that if we don't stand up and uh, push back, why uh, we know who controls the narrative. So we've always worked to bring you uh, people with a variety of points of view. Uh, health uh, care is a particular concern to people. And I've got a lot of opinions myself now about it since I've been involved with the Dean for, um, I'm, I'm older now and, and older people tend to get involved. Younger people tend to assume they're immortal as I did. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, you seem to be right now, we're going to talk and focus on uh, Obamacare premiums, which um, uh, I know very little about because I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm on the uh, Medicare deal and I'm old and I've got the ARP and all the above and I've had to use it <laughs> and particularly where drug costs come in and uh, I don't know what the answer to that is some of these drug costs are are really exorbitant I don't know how people afford them and maybe we can talk about all the above but this is a Dean Clancy uh, talking with us where are you sir okay. I'm calling you from uh, Sarasota Florida. Well, you're good. You're a good place. Have you survived the storm? <laughs> we survived the storm. Praise God. Well, boy, I'm telling you, it was a it was a uh, certainly an event. And then we turned around and hammered the East Coast, too, and washed away the foundations of the beach, as you know. And so we in Florida have um, I have a friend who's in the flood insurance business. So <laughs> they've been writing checks, as we say. So uh, and there we are. Well, Dean, welcome to the Ward Scott Files. And. Where do you want to begin? I want to let you take off with uh, what's on your mind, what you've been researching. And then we have an open phone line. Uh, we we may get a call. If we do, we'll splice it into the appropriate time. And um, 
and work that. I also have a chat line going here where I can see people live uh, chatting and watching. So what's the story that you're most interested in right now, sir? Well, uh, I focus on health care. As you mentioned, I, I met Americans for Prosperity. And you're right, we are a liberty-loving organization. Basically, we have thousands of activists around the country and uh, paid activists in 35 states. Uh, we, we work for individual liberty, a free enterprise, and smaller constitutionally limited government. And healthcare is just one of many issues that we work on. And uh, our feeling about healthcare is we need to get away from government-centric approaches. We've got a kind of creeping government takeover of healthcare going on in this country, thanks to things like Obamacare and Medicaid expansion. And that's just the wrong way uh, to go. We believe in a personal option is what we call it. It means uh, putting patients in charge, letting doctors and patients just deal with each other freely in a free market, which is the only way we're gonna improve the cost, quality, and access of healthcare in this country. Uh, when it comes to uh, cost and Obamacare, the story is pretty shocking. Um, this past year, health insurance companies in the individual purchase market have hiked their premiums by 25% on average. Most people don't feel that because of generous government subsidies. So taxpayers are basically paying uh, those bills. Meanwhile, uh, the average premium of an individual market insurance policy in healthcare now is $22,000 a year. That's the amount you pay, whether you use any healthcare or not. And for a lot of people, you might still have to pay five, eight, ten thousand dollars out of your own pocket before a penny of your insurance kicks in. It's really becoming unbearable. And meanwhile, access to doctors and facilities is shrinking because um, the, the, the Obamacare mandates, uh, all the incentives now are uh, on the insurers to drive up premiums and shrink your access to providers. So it's getting harder to find a doctor who's actually in your insurance plan. All of this is because of government intervention. It's costing everybody an arm and a leg, and we need to change it. And that's why we're determined uh, to give people new options, what we call a personal option. Well, Dean, let's just talk about the midterm results here, which were disappointing to those who were looking forward to the tsunami. And what we got was a trickle. But we did get a bare Republican majority in the House. We know how that works. There's obviously going to be some linos in there now and then. Just looking at that House configuration now, does that promise any opportunity for revision of what you're talking about right now in the direction you want to take it? I think we'll uh, spend the next two years uh, seeing the two main political parties positioning for 2024, because neither one is in a position to govern. Democrats uh, barely control the Senate, apparently, after this election, and uh, Republicans, as you mentioned, barely control the House. I mean, we're talking about really thin margins, one or two votes, very difficult to pass legislation. But I will say this, uh, the Democrats have made very clear what they want to do. They want to keep expanding government, and uh, Republicans uh, have they didn't emphasize health care in this election. But uh, to their credit, the House Republicans did come up with a health reform agenda. You probably haven't heard of it. Most people have not. They didn't advertise it, but they did come up with a pretty good plan. And it aligns with the personal option approach that I was mentioning. And so if the Republicans are smart, they'll build the case 
for those kinds of reforms. I'm a little worried that they're going to focus a lot on, oh, you know, investigations and, and looking for corruption. And believe me, I'm, I have no doubt there's plenty of corruption uh, to be found. Uh, but that doesn't make health insurance any more affordable for people. And um, if I could just for a minute, I'll explain some of the things the Republicans have said they're for. Uh, they say they're for letting everyone in America save and pay for health care tax-free. In other words, give everyone a tax-free health savings account. That's an existing account. It's like an IRA or a 401k that uh, you can use it for qualified medical expenses, pretty much any medical expense except for insurance premiums. You can use it for things your health insurance doesn't cover. You can use it for things uh, for doctors and hospitals that are not in your health insurance plan, it's a great tool. And it basically makes your health care dollar go farther. It's like getting a discount on every medical purchase because the money is tax-free. Well, only one in 10 Americans has access to an HSA right now because of federal barriers. We need to remove those barriers. And House Republicans say they want to do that. Another reform that they're pushing that we support is giving, making sure everyone has access to direct primary care. For those uh, who don't know what that is, uh, DPC is a new model of care delivery where you just pay a monthly subscription to your favorite doctors, no additional hidden charges or fees, no co-pays or anything, and you get kind of 24-7 access. They often, you know, will let you talk with them by email, telehealth, in person, whatever. They even sometimes will make house calls. And you get great access to referrals with discounts on lab tests and uh, imaging and sometimes huge discounts on prescription drugs, like 95% discount on uh, generic drugs. Why? Because the doctors cut out the insurance and drug uh, 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 pharmacy benefit manager middlemen. A lot of the problem with healthcare today is there's all these middlemen in the system who are uh, profiting while the patient and the doctor suffer. So, um, so uh, health savings accounts and direct primary care are two high priorities of the House Republicans and of uh, Americans for Prosperity. We think that's the way to go. If we put the patient in charge, then you're going to see more competition, price transparency, functioning markets. Right now, my line is, uh, in America, the patient is not the customer. The patient is the product. And it's, the system is run really for the benefit of big insurance corporations, hospital companies, uh, drug and device makers, and all these middlemen that I mentioned. And so uh, I'm hopeful that we can build the case for a personal option approach over the next two years. Well stated. And let me just add from my point of view, since I have reached the age where I participate in this uh, a lot more than I did when I was younger, even though I still want to believe I'm immoral, <laughs> things happen. I mean, it just is uh, uh, related to a lot of things about uh, being a human being. Right. I have a lot of friends who are doctors, and I, uh, uh, many of them now have reached the age where they're so frustrated, they're quitting. Right. And here's, and you know the story, you know the story all too well, Dean. I have a good friend, for example, who was everybody regarded in the community as the go-to doc. Uh, this was in the orthopedic world and started out. He was sort of with a couple of partners. I'm going back 20, 30 years. And then finally, they joined a bigger organization to survive the expense of being, you know, physicians. And then that organization got taken over by a quote unquote business group, as you know. And he was in his office one day um, and um, he got notification and he helped start the organization that he was had now been bought out. And he was informed uh, rather 
abruptly that um, you're only seeing 15 patients a day. Uh, that's not productive. You need to see twice as many. And yeah. he said, well, you know, these are my patients I've taken care of for 50 years, you know, and they're human beings. And I want they want to talk to a doctor and I listen to them. And they said, well, that's OK, but that's not what it's all about. You've got to see twice as many. And they wanted him to double from 15 to 30 a day. And not the heck with the patient's interest and rapport with the physician. Right. So he, he quit. He retired. I mean, he was the age where he didn't need to retire, but he retired. And, and I've got doctors like that who are now in their 70s and they're retiring. Um, they're just they're giving it up. And I've even had them say to me, well, we perform that test, but your insurance won't pay for it. So the insurance is driving the medical opinion. The, the, the lawyers, I got to believe they're in there somewhere. And the, the, the business people are deciding for the doctors, the medical opinions. Have I got that right? Yes. Insurance companies increasingly practice medicine without a license. And that's why you see that burnout. And it's not just doctors in their 70s. Doctors in their 50s, their 40s are dropping out because they don't want to be a hamster on a on a wheel for some insurance company or hospital corporation. And it's all happening because of the way the government has screwed up uh, the system. And, you know, uh, I've had the experience, maybe you have, where you sit down with the doctor and he's looking at a screen instead of at you. And he's asking all these questions and typing. And why is he doing that? So he can get paid by an insurance company. And then he's got to move you out because he's, you're right. He's got to keep the conveyor belt moving of patients. So you don't get real health care. The real weakness of the whole left-wing vision of putting government in charge of healthcare or big uh, corporations in charge, which it turns out they're, they're for both of those things, um, is you lose the real doctor-patient relationship. And, um, and so the quality, you know, everybody might have an insurance card in their pocket. And for the left, they just pat themselves on the back. We've solved the problem. But that doesn't guarantee you get good quality health care. That can only happen in a functioning market where the doctor and patient are free to spend as much time with each other as they need to get the job done. That's why the direct patient care model I was describing is so much better. And by the way, a lot of doctors who are quitting corporate medicine are going into direct primary care. They're seeing fewer patients. They're probably making less money, but they're so much happier because they're actually practicing medicine and their patients love it too. And that's the future. That's where we have to go. Well, you know, in the hospital, there's no more pronounced uh, experience than that which you're talking about because you experience the traveling nurses and the traveling doctors. Mm -hmm. And they're called hospitalists, the doctors. Right. And what happens if you're in there, God forbid you have need to go in there in the hospital and have some sort of care there for several days, you'll have a different hospitalist every day and you'll have a different one during the day. In the morning, one will come in and look first at the computer to see what the previous hospitalist put in there about you. Right. So he looks at that and then he comes over and he sits down and he chats with you. This is my personal experience. Pleasant fellow. Nothing wrong with that at all uh, in terms of his humanity, if you will, except his role, which he's playing. And he advises you on what he sees in the computer and what he thinks that means. And he goes from that point on. You're not in the hands of him. Uh, then in the evening, you get another guy who comes in who sees what the previous guy in the morning put into him. 
And he comes over and sits down and chats with you and they're gone. And there's no influence in there in terms of your family who used to make calls, your, your primary care guy coming in and looking after you and really advising these people who don't know you uh, and the, God forbid, but the numbers can be wrong. You know, if there's more to the practice of medicine, medicine's more in what art than it is in science. Right. Right. And what we've done in the hospitals has made it a science and more than it has been an art. Now, the surgeons and those guys and specialists, that's another world. They're good. They're, they're good. But that's not whom you're in the hands of after that. They, they do it and gone. And then you're in the hands of the itinerary nurses who are mean well, but you don't see them again. I'm worried about the big hospital corporations that are now taking over primary care because of the expenses of the equipment necessary to do all these sophisticated analysis of your illness or whatever, which are pretty darn remarkable, by the way. Uh, they really can do things that are amazing. Um, but who can afford them? What primary care guy can afford them? You see, that's my next question, I guess. How do you do that? Well, uh, first of all, your, your story is a perfect example of what's wrong with the system. It, the corporatization of healthcare and by the way, it's not just the big corporations. It's also private equity, you know, hedge funds. They're getting in. Amazon is jumping into healthcare because they want the information, the, the patient data, which they can wow. then resell. Wow. And, and it's, uh, it's like the whole healthcare system in America is uh, ill and it's suffering from opportunistic infections. And uh, without prompt intervention, it will inevitably lapse into a single-payer coma. It will collapse into a gov completely government-run system. Um, we have a, there's a lot good about American healthcare. There's still a modicum of freedom and choice in the system, but it's shrinking, and uh, the costs are going up. It's unsustainable. The, the situation you described is exactly what's happening to millions of people. It has to change. Our politicians don't seem to be aware of that, uh, although I do think the Republicans are a little bit more sensitive uh, to the problem. So I have some hope. But you asked about, you know, how does the primary care, do, how do we get back to, you know, real uh, medicine, real health care? I think it has to be uh, reducing the role of insurance. Right now, everybody thinks, well, I've got to pay for everything through my insurance. And that's crazy. Insurance is supposed to be for the big expenses. You need it as a financial safety net. Everyone does, unless you're independently wealthy, in which case you're self-insured. But uh, your insurance doesn't have to pay for absolutely everything. All the bells and whistles that the government now mandates are not necessary. We can greatly reduce the cost of insurance and therefore people's reliance on insurance by letting people buy only what they need. You know, like Liberty Mutual, the ads, they say, you know, pay for only what you need. Yeah, that's, yeah. How, that's how it should work. And then on top of that, as I mentioned before, you do need to give patients more tools so that they can take control uh, you know, whoever controls the dollars is really in charge of the system. And that should be the patient, the customer, right? That should be uh, that person. Well, that person needs, first of all, uh, not to be discriminated against in the tax code. The reason uh, health savings accounts are necessary is because currently our tax code discriminates. It gives huge tax breaks to big corporations to buy health care for their employees. It doesn't give you any tax break if you just pay for health care out of pocket or buy insurance on your own in the individual purchase market. As a result, uh, people are dependent on these big overpriced uh, group health benefit plans 
that give the insurers their opening to, to meddle in the doctor-patient relationship. We, we change that by giving everyone tax-free health savings accounts. And, you know, in the case of the low income, maybe even taking some of the money we currently spend on things like Obamacare and Medicaid, just put that in their accounts. Let them decide how to spend that money for their health care. And then second, clear the way so that everybody can have those direct primary care uh, subscriptions that, you know, it's, it's growing, it's booming right now. It's very hopeful. And if everybody had that sort of triple layer cake of an HSA, a DPC subscription, and a basic affordable health insurance policy, I think you would see prices coming down, quality going up, doctors and patients being much happier, and basically people being healthier. And that should be the goal, right? Well, you know, we've got so many questions are coming in. I got to ask you a question that's come in. What is this? Uh, how does this relate to the VA? We have a soldier here who goes to the VA. VA is a great example of government-delivered health care. I mean, it's like the Soviet system in some ways. It's, it's where the government tries to you know, run the hospital, make all the choices, buy the drugs for you, and so on. And for a lot of veterans, it may be just what they need because they're relatively healthy. But if you have any kind of serious chronic illness and you're a veteran and you rely on VA, you're probably going to stand in line or you're not going to have access to the drug you want because the government has decided it's too expensive. Now, the one good thing about VA is it's not mandatory. You're not compelled to rely on VA. You can go outside to the private sector uh, if you want. Uh, But VA definitely needs reform. And that agency not only provides a low-quality product on average, but the bureaucrats will uh, mess with the statistics to try to make it look like they're doing a better job than they really are. Why? So that they can keep their their budget, you know, because they're getting paid by the taxpayers. This happens in any country that has socialized medicine. The bureaucracy looks for ways to uh, ration care and make all their statistics look as favorable as possible. And uh, so the VA, that's the future of American health care. That'll be VA for everybody if we allow this creeping government takeover uh, to continue. Talking with Dean Clancy, if you have a question, I can see it in the chat line here or our phone line is open and we'll put you in the uh, waiting room, so to speak. Uh, no pun intended because we're talking about medicine, but uh, and we'll chat you in when we get a uh, patch you in when we get a chance. The personal experience in my family for someone who um, I was working for a big, you know, the firm, if I mention it, I don't want to mention it, but a big food outlet where we go to buy our food, um, had wonderful insurance with that uh, company working for it until Obamacare uh, came along. And the company stopped paying all the, uh, and you know, cut people back to part time so that he wouldn't have to carry them. And now it's become really problematic. Any comments or thoughts about that? Uh, they did Absolutely. it. The big food people did it to survive, I guess, because yeah. they couldn't they couldn't pass the cost along in food to the customers. So they had to do. You know, there's a squeeze right there. That's exactly right. That's uh, Obamacare's employer mandate, which is still on the books. Happily, the individual mandate to buy insurance has been effectively uh, repealed. Uh, Donald Trump signed that into law in 2017. But the em- employer mandate, the mandate on employers to provide health benefits to their employees who are full-time, has uh, is still on the books. And because of the, where they defined full-time, a lot of employers did just what you're saying. They cut back on people's hours so they're no longer officially full-time, so they don't have to offer them health benefits at work. 
how is that a, a game? <laughs> you know, the whole idea of Obamacare was supposedly everybody gets covered and everybody's going to pay less. And instead, you've got uh, employees losing their access to the workplace benefits. And workplace benefits in this country do tend to be the most generous because of the generous tax subsidies. So it's just another reason why Obamacare was a mistake. Obamacare continues to be a problem. It's fueling all these problems we're discussing on this call. And it needs to be, if not fully repealed, at least fundamentally transformed. A lot of those mandates can go away. You can leave uh, the protections for people with pre-existing medical conditions. You can leave those mandates in place, but you can still have affordable uh, health insurance if you get rid of the other crazy mandates. I won't get into the weeds, but there's a lot of low-hanging fruit here if we can just get our policymakers to focus on it and make those reforms. Well, that's piqued some people's interest here. How does Obamacare, in its present form and uh, application, raise everybody's costs? If uh, we can use the analogy of the water lifting all the boats, it lifts not just Obamacare's boat, but anything else that's in the harbor is lifted with it. How does that work? Well, uh, Obamacare, it's a couple of things. One, it's a, a general series of mandates on all health insurance, including workplace plans, privately purchased individual coverage, and so on. You have to offer a whole bunch of benefits. Uh, they, they call them essential health benefits. So it, that raised the cost for everyone because people are having to pay for bells and whistles that they don't necessarily want or need. Also, Obamacare imposes price controls on insurance. It's called community rating. And what that means is uh, you can't charge the oldest person more than three times what you charge the youngest person. Well, what that does is drive up the prices for the younger, healthier people. So they drop out of the pool. It's not, it doesn't make sense for them to want to participate. And so you get a spiral. And then the, the, the mandates that really uh, drive up the cost, something called minimum loss ratio. Basically, the insurer has to pay out a certain percentage of what he takes in through in benefits. And at the same time, we have this generous tax subsidy system that's based on a percentage of premium. You combine those policies and what you get is an incentive for the insurance company to jack up their premiums as rapidly as they can. And that's exactly what we've seen happen. And that does spill over into the private market. It's not just in the market where the government's providing subsidies for lower income people, the so-called Obamacare marketplaces or, you know, healthcare.gov. It's, it's affecting everybody. And uh, so all these mandates need to be uh, repealed or relaxed such that you can allow markets uh, to function again. You know, there's another bait and switch going on here. Excellent explanation, uh, Dean. Wonderful. I'm, I'm, I'm learning. And that's what I, this, this show is all about teaching and learning. I'm a former professor and I, I, I conduct this as a classroom and you're our guest lecturer today if you want to see my metaphor here. But uh, and it, it kind of works. That's the way it, it, it's all about informing people so they uh, possibly, you know, but here's the frustrating thing. Now that we have told people, what do they do? People always come to me after and say, well, okay, well, what do I do? You know, where do I start? I understand this. I'm feeling the pain of this. For example, uh, uh, what you just mentioned with Obamacare, uh, I have a relative who has no other choice because it's now part time and, and can't get it from the from the corporation. So has to go out and get it from the old pays an, an arm and a leg for this stuff, you know, and uses right. very little of it. So but has no choice, you know, and, uh, and then there's all, the whole situation of cost shifting. 
which we can get into in a moment, where we have the uninsured using the emergency room as their primary care. And that's shifted over to the rest of us. And that drives up the cost of the, of, you know, of the whole operation of medical care. It's, it's, um, right. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. The, uh, the, uh, the cost shifting is real. The over-reliance on the emergency room is real. And it's driven by these same policies that make it in effect, <clears throat> uh, it's unlikely that your local doctor will be in your insurance plan network. So you go to the emergency room because it's more convenient. I don't blame people. We're all victims in this situation. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, the, uh, now I've, I've suddenly lost my uh, brilliant well, we're thought. talking about cost shifting. I mean, we're talking about cost shifting. Oh, yeah. And how cost, that cost shifting. Yeah, the government basically underpays program in, in programs like Medicare and Medicaid especially. The government underpays doctors and hospitals. Well, they literally, in some cases, can't cover their costs of providing care. So they have to jack up their prices to those who pay more generously, private commercial health insurance plans. And that's what they do. And that's another driver of health care costs. By the way, if, if I can give you some statistics on that, um, Medicare only pays about 50 percent of what a private commercial health insurance policy pays for the same item or service. So that has an effect on Medicare enrollees' ability to, you know, get the care they need and the quality they need. Um, but Medicaid is much worse. It only pays about 25% of what a private commercial plan pays for the same item or service. And as a result, a lot of doctors just won't take Medicaid patients. They'll claim that we're not taking any new patients. But what they really mean is, I, I don't take Medicaid patients because it just it doesn't cover their costs of doing business. As a result, Medicaid especially has very low quality. It's like third world medicine in some ways. Uh, if I can give an anecdote here, I had a loved one who, through no fault of her own, found herself having to rely on Medicaid. And um, she went to uh, the urgent care clinic because she, she had an emergency. And they said, sorry, we don't take Medicaid. Go to the emergency room. And then mm -hmm. another time she thought, uh, she had a problem. She went to the hospital. It turned out to be a, a false alarm, but she didn't know that. She went to the hospital, emergency room, and they put her in a corridor. You know, it was clear other people who had come later were getting service uh, first. Why? Because she had told them she had a Medicaid card. So, in fact, there are studies that show that uh, to be on Medicaid is actually worse than to be uninsured for certain conditions like cancer and heart disease. And it stands to reason because often hospitals can find a way to get paid if you're uninsured, like through government special subsidies for the uninsured. But if you're on Medicaid, they're stuck with the, uh, the exceedingly low payment rate. And so you just get worse quality health care. And by the way, uh, the, the Democrats have been pushing Medicaid for all. They call it Medicare for all. But really, their their goal is just to get everyone on Medicaid. They've, they've made some policy changes so that now Medicaid rolls have swelled to 90 million Americans. One in four Americans is now on this program that was supposed to be a safety net for the truly indigent. And they're trying to turn it into everybody's health insurance. It's a tragedy. You know, we were very astute here under Governor Scott, I believe it was. Obama offered a bait and switch. He said, Florida, take up the Medicaid. We'll pay for it for, uh, and what he really was saying, we'll just pay to get it there, and then we're going to drop it, and you take it up and pay for it. And right. we knew right away that that would deplete. The, one of the biggest things the state of Florida does, you know, being in it, is it has a solvent retirement fund. 
you know, and all the people in this state are on retirement checks from some form of uh, employment in the state of Florida. I had a friend who ran that fund for Governor Bush, and he was in charge of it. And uh, he he was a financial guy, you know, Bush put him in charge of it. And he told me, man, one thing you can count on in Florida is we're not going to run out of money like Illinois here. We're going to be able to fund the, you know, the people who are on this retirement thing. And that would have depleted if we'd taken that Medicaid, um, um, this disingenuous offer, if you will, from Obama. It would have depleted the money for retirement. Very good decision by the leadership of the state of Florida, which was Republican. They didn't take that uh, into they didn't take that, uh, you know, genuine as a genuine offer. They saw the, right. the, the right. but we, you know, we're going to take a bomb in the hour, but can you stay with us a little bit longer and have a discussion? I, I would love that. Okay. Well, we're talking with Dean Clancy. And if you have a question, I'm looking at the chat line. We also, I see Tim Martin on, who is an excellent uh, observer and uh, may have a question. Tim, if you want to call in, we have an open phone line. You can call in and discuss with us and uh, we'll be back in a moment. Um, and I got to do a couple of things here for the weather and the sponsors and, a little sure. gab here, and I'll be right back. I think you'll be able to hear it. Uh, so don't go to sleep during it. <laughs> right back on the Ward Scott Files after I bought him the iron break. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner. On the right side of the page, or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth. All bees poop. The warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. 
Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Welcome back to Ward Scott Files. We're at the bottom of the hour break here. I want to thank Lewis Oil for providing me an opportunity to give you the weather. And um, the weather here, we're going to have our first really little frosty, I hope not frost, because of the cattle that really don't like that when they get back to the grass, which of course doesn't grow at night. So we're hauling hay, which I've told you about. The price of hay has doubled, but the price of cattle at the other end who eat it has not. And the price of diesel right around here is about 561. You cannot run an agrarian society that way, but uh, people in charge of our lives and government don't seem to be from the family farm. So we're reading right now, according to AccuWeather here in Alachua, Florida, where we are, which is in the piney woods of North Central Florida and God's country, if you will, some of the last rural area of Florida, uh, 39 degrees. It's always a little bit colder than uh, it is in the cities, of course. And uh, we have a little more wind. We're surrounded by forests and pastures and things of that nature. So, uh, but I got to tell you that if you tried to watch football last night, uh, you would have seen the blizzard conditions that have shut down Buffalo, New York in particular, which the dangerous onslaught of uh, warm, the combination of warm lake weather and cold air coming across has produced a, a huge amount of snow there and has actually con- has succeeded in canceling some of the uh, athletic activities there. So parts of the nation are really, particularly the Northeast, really experiencing a lot of dangerous weather right now. Whereas if you are a skier, as I once was, you are chopping, uh, uh, licking your chops now at the possibility of getting out on the slopes because uh, you've got early opening of the of the uh, uh, ski lifts and the snow coming in and uh, boy, they're headed for a good season. The problem there, of course, is like so many things, Costs are going up, up, up just to ride one day lift ticket. You got to be, you got to be well, you got to have some kind of coupon or something or have more money than you know what to do with. If you go out there, it's getting that way. But um, we're talking about this in terms of uh, healthcare expense too. But I also like to look at those who uh, provide us with uh, things we take for granted, and that's our food. And uh, I talked yesterday with a physician a uh, person who is in the nutrition world, and it sort of maybe will bleed over a little bit to our discussion about healthcare. But there'll be less and less food, according to the sciences, that come from the actual animals. We're going to genetically code what the animals provide us and then provide it in some sort of artificially produced food. It was a little bit over my head, uh, but I had faith in what the man was saying because he was a scientist. And he said, this is going to have to be the way we get food because we're not going to have the grazing areas for the animals to provide it for us. And what my guest right now is coming from Sarasota. And during the break, we were talking about the paradoxical problem we have here where we have so many people coming to the state uh, and therefore reducing the available open space. Uh, and yet, you know, it's a wonderful place to live. It's well governed, has a good government and business model. So, um, that's how I put together today the weather with our topic. Man, I tell you what, where did I learn to do that? I have no idea. I don't know if you appreciated it, but I thought it was connected. There you are, Dean. It's, um, uh, it's, it's uh, you know, who insures the farmer? I guess to get back over to your position, uh, my guys around me are party people. Uh, they, they don't, uh, 
complain. Uh, but uh, when I went next door to my friend to get hay, his wife had just gone undergone a colonoscopy. So there must have been insurance purchased right on top of the rising fuel costs and the, all the above. Can you have you looked at that segment of our society? We talked about corporations pulling the rug out from under people, but how about those who never had a rug to start with? <laughs> well, yeah, the rising cost of healthcare is part of a larger picture of the rising cost of everything. Uh, you described it very well. Uh, traditionally, health insurance and health care have uh, grown in cost every year faster than the rate of inflation. It's only in the last year or two that general inflation has exceeded healthcare inflation, but now healthcare inflation is catching back up. And of course, that always falls hardest on low income people, people on fixed incomes, people with low incomes. And um, you, you, you've got to allow them more options. I talked earlier about the idea of a personal option in healthcare. That's what you need. And I'm glad you mentioned how do in, uh, farmers insure themselves. If I could just uh, talk uh, uh, on my hobby horse for a minute. Sure. Uh, the Farm Bureau Federations in the various states around the country, um, many of them offer health benefits to their members. And um, in six states now, the state legislature, and this is perfectly legal, has exempted the Farm Bureau plans in their state from Obamacare's mandates. They can do that under Obamacare. And so in those states, these extremely affordable plans, they can be 50, 80% even uh, less expensive than a traditional Obamacare regulated health plan. Um, they basically, people now have a way out of Obamacare. It's an escape route through the Farm Bureau plan. And my understanding is, Anybody can join the Farm Bureau as long as you pay the modest annual dues. I don't think you have to be a farmer. No, you Maybe do not have to be a farmer. You do not have to be a farmer. Okay. Now, here's my hobby horse. Florida's uh, Farm Bureau uh, Federation does not offer health insurance benefits to their members. I called them up to ask about it, and I got uh, you know connected to Mississippi or something. I mean, it was like they, no, they, they do. do offer they do not, Dean. I'm on Farm Bureau for my uh, property insurance but they do not for health insurance. Yeah. So if they did ever offer it, um, there's a bill that's been introduced in the legislature that would exempt that plan from, and similar nonprofit organization health plans from Obamacare's mandates. That's an escape route. Uh, oh, that's that, interesting. That is, yeah. may I interrupt? Because yeah. you're touching home here uh, with all the guys that are around me who are struggling to keep the family farm, if you will, per, uh, you know, right. available. Um, so really one place we could put some emphasis is on getting Farm Bureau. Man, it's a big organization. I don't know where to start, but I've got some friends who are presidents, have been presidents of it. Oh, to wow. get in the healthcare business, I'm old enough to have some friends who have influence. <laughs> you have to live a long time to have that. But <laughs> I have a friend who was a, a hospital a manager, you know, was the CEO of a hospital corporation. So uh, he, he knows all about, he was all about this stuff we're talking about, but That'd be interesting. A, farm, a group like Farm Bureau could exempt farmers uh, from the onerous kinds of liabilities of Obama, Obamacare mandate. Is that correct? Do I hear that right? That is absolutely right. And I'll make you a, a proposition here. If, if farmers like you in Florida can persuade the Farm Bureau to offer a health benefit uh, to its members, then Americans for Prosperity activists like me 
we'll make sure the legislature passes uh, the law that exempts the, uh, that plan from Obamacare's mandates. Then, then you're going to have much, much less expensive insurance, and all Floridians will be able to benefit from it, not just farmers. So, uh, so let's do it. I mean, I, it, it's happened in six states already. Um, why not make Florida the seventh? So in six states, Farm Bureau has done this? In six states where Farm Bureau was already offering health benefits. I got you. The, le the legislature passed a bill exempting that plan from Obamacare's mandates. And so in those states, if people want, they can buy a much more affordable insurance. And by the way, portable insurance that they can, you know, they don't lose it when they change jobs. Uh, and it's... Uh, you know, it's it's legal. It's it's lawful under Obamacare. A lot of people don't know about it. I'm wor worried that the liberals are going to figure out uh, that that sort of loophole exists and are going to try to close it. But uh, but for now, it's it's an option and we should try to to, to push it. Got somebody in the waiting room production. Can you pull uh, that call in, please? Hello. Hey, good morning. It's Tim. Hey, Tim. Good morning, Tim. Thanks for waiting. I saw you on the sideline. That's not the number we take, so I'm glad you saw my message. Uh, yeah, go right ahead. You've got the floor, and you're talking, of course, with Dean Clancy, and I, I think you guys have a kind of a kinship, right? Uh, you might tell Dean what you do, too. Well, Dean, I'm actually a development officer slash fundraiser for the uh, John Birch Society, so we're very freedom-oriented of course, been around over 60 years. Uh, my question was whether you had any sort of a gauge as to the rise in uh, personal direct pay sort of concierge services uh, increasing, uh, maybe even locally, statewide, or even na nationally, uh, because there was a period of time when Obamacare first got started, I refused uh, to, to buy it. Uh, so I didn't have insurance for a period of time for me and my family, but we had contacted all of our doctors ahead of time. And every one of them said, well, if you want to pay cash, uh, then we'll only charge you 50%. Uh, so I had a, a broken ankle and a, and a uh, broken arm during that period. Uh, and I, if I recall right, one of them cost less than $1,000 and the other one was less than $2,000. But we just paid cash for all those treatments. Well, uh, yeah, you're touching on something that's really at the heart of our sort of personal option vision, which is a lot more of healthcare should be paid for with cash. Cut the insurance middleman out altogether. <clears throat> One way to do it is exactly what you're describing. And this really is a movement that started years ago <clears throat> where people just, <clears throat> excuse me, people just basically asked the doctor, hey, how much would you charge me if I just paid you in cash? We cut the insurance middleman out. And you're right, they will give you significant discounts in many cases. And uh, I love it when people do that. But of course, a lot of people are a little bit, um, you know, hesitant. They're afraid to haggle or whatever. Uh, so there, another model is the one I was describing uh, before the break, and that's direct primary care, which sometimes is also called concierge medicine. And there you pay a fixed monthly subscription to a medical group, group of doctors or to a facility. And as a result, you have basically open access with no additional charges, fees, copays, or whatever. And it can be quite affordable. For example, there's a, a, a direct primary care uh, outfit in uh, Northport, Florida, not too far from where I live, 
Uh, they they charge ten dollars a month for an adult, and excuse me, sixty. Uh, uh, excuse me, uh, $60 a month for an adult and $10 a month for a child. And um, and that's it. That's all the fees you pay. And they give good health care. It's primary care. It's not specialty care, but they will give you good referrals. And often you can get discounts because you got the referral uh, from them. And the last thing I'll say about this is uh, there are cash pay hospitals as well. There's a place called the Surgery Center of Oklahoma. They decided to cut out all insurance, just go cash pay. Well, guess what? They charge a lot less than all their competitors. And you can go on the website or on a mobile app and just check out, hey, what's the, what are you guys charging for, a, you know, a, a gallbladder removal or a liver biopsy? And they'll give you an, an upfront all-in price, no hidden fees. That's it. And um, that's, to me, the future of healthcare. When we can shop, in fact, in our polling and focus groups at Americans for Prosperity, we ask people, what would you like healthcare to look like? They often say Amazon or Walmart, you know, basic, just old fashioned shopping. Healthcare should be more like going to the gas station or the grocery store with all the prices available. Instead, because of insurance, none of the prices are posted. Nobody knows how much it costs, and it always costs too much. Well, I guess I would have a follow up question. Yeah, if you don't mind. Uh, given that that you know, Americans are pretty uh, inventive, and uh, they will they will seek seek the path of least resistance. So, as those sorts of services rise, perhaps, and government loses a little less, con- loses more control. Uh, do you see a scenario where the government starts threatening these doctors with their licenses and uh, those sorts of things, or maybe even backdooring it through? Uh, the a big pharma because you know of course every prescription's tracked and every doctor gets uh, you know a, a grade or that sort of thing because of how they're writing prescriptions and that sort of thing. So I feel like there's always an angle that the government can play. And do you see that as sort of a an option or a scenario that could develop? I do. Um, it's inevitable. Government always encroaches. It always looks for a way. And often it's being driven by special interests who have undue influence with government. So in the case of cash pay medicine and direct primary care, um, right now the insurance companies are watching it with a wary eye because they see it as, you know, cutting into their business. And in some cases they have gone to state insurance commissioners and said basically, Hey, um, this is this looks like insurance to us. You should regulate it as insurance. Happily, more than half the states have responded to that push by passing safe harbor laws, including Florida, uh, that say direct patient care, cash pay only care is not insurance and will not be regulated as insurance. That's a huge safeguard right there. But uh, the pressure to try to stamp out competition is always there. And meanwhile, the federal uh, IRS in Washington has taken the view that these direct pay um, uh, monthly subscription uh, models are just a form of insurance. So you cannot use your tax-free health savings account money for direct primary care under the federal law currently. And indeed, if you have direct primary care as a subscription, then you may not contribute any money to your HSA. It goes both ways. It's because of the IRS and uh, and we need to change that law. But, you know, ultimately, uh, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. We just have to keep fighting 
to, to maintain a space of freedom in this area. Does that do it, Tim? How you doing, sir? Are you entitled to another comment, sir? I think Tim may have been uh, maybe off the line now. Well, that's a very good uh, uh, dialogue I was listening to there. Um, got a question here that is on a lot of people's minds, and that's cancer treatment, the cost of cancer treatment. Um, and I know many people personally who have experienced, of course, this terrible kind of need to have it dealt with. Apparently, the cost of it is just, well, here's a, a, a number, 52000 for treatment for cancer immunotherapy every six weeks. Um, even discounted, uh, this person is saying, that's, well, uh, it's still, still half, insurance pays half. How can anyone afford that treatment? Uh, any observations on that or comment? Absolutely. This is really a serious pain point in healthcare is that uh, sometimes these breakthrough and very complicated <laughs> therapies are very expensive. And uh, usually that's because they have a monopoly from the government called a patent. And the patent system is enshrined in our constitution. It is a good system overall because it, it uh, accelerates progress and raises our standard of living. But while those patents exist, the prices can be very high as the uh, innovator tries to recoup his costs of development and uh, make a profit. And there's nothing wrong with making a profit. The, uh, our system, uh, when it comes to paying for drugs, is based on insurance. And there's a bunch of rules and, and mandates in that system that also create this incentive to drive up the costs because there are middlemen who are feeding off the system through rebates and and spread pricing and other games where basically uh, it's a it's like a system of kickbacks really i'm not saying that the cancer uh, treatment that you mentioned would be significantly less expensive if we got rid of those middlemen it would be less expensive one thing to keep in mind is you don't want to kill the goose that lays the golden egg you want innovation and development. So you have to put up with some of this. Question is, how do you pay for it? And one way, of course, is to make insurance more efficient. Another way is to have charity and, uh, you know, limited government safety nets that help people who can't afford this care get access to it. I think we all agree we want everybody to have the care they need when they need it at a price they can afford. So we, we want compassion, but we don't want to just kill off innovation. The Democrats just pushed through by a single vote in the Senate, a big bill, they call it the Inflation Reduction Act. I call it the Inflation Acceleration Act. One of its provisions was price controls on drugs in Medicare. Everybody agrees, including the sort of uh, independent experts, that's gonna result in fewer new cures coming online in future years. The, the rate of innovation will slow down because it, it doesn't pay for these developers to take the risks that they take to bring us new uh, drugs and therapies. We need to repeal those price controls and um, we need to reform the drug patent system and, and promote generic uh, competition to help bring down costs through market forces. Last thing I'll say is I think we should allow importation of uh, legal drugs from Canada and other countries that will help uh, drive down the cost in this country. And, um, and we need to uh, remember that America is the best place in the world to get cancer. I mean, you don't wish cancer on anybody, but our cancer survival rates are better than anywhere on the planet. 
And it's because we do still have a modicum of free market activity in this space. And uh, I wouldn't want to get cancer in Canada. The survival rates, the cancer screening rates oh, no. are worse there. Right? Yeah, we had a, a few years back as I was chatting with you on the, at the break, uh, we interviewed a doctor from Canada who came here for medical care, who worked in the Canadian medical care system, but wouldn't uh, be treated by the system that she worked in and came here uh, for that very reason. Uh, long lines of uh, rations, if you will, and quotas and availability. And um, it really also is a we're going to run out of time. We'll never be able to have enough time to talk about these things. But it has changed probably the interest young people have in becoming physicians. Um, I think maybe I can't got any. That's just the feeling. I don't have any empirical evidence of any of that. But uh, it's changed. Um, we've gone, for example, more to uh, nurse practitioners and physician's assistants. And for you to actually be treated by the doctor of whom there are fewer um, is more and more difficult because it's less and less affordable. Uh, is maybe a subject for another day. And maybe you haven't looked into that yet, or maybe you have. But I certainly want to get with you uh, off the show. I want to pursue this thing of State of Florida Farm Bureau offering uh, health insurance. I know some guys who are pretty high up in Farm Bureau. I want to run it by them, not that I can, uh, you know, move the rock up the hill, but at least start start to ask the question. And what I particularly heard you offer is that your group would be able to, um, if they made the move, you would support the legislation. So uh, would that begin in Florida? Would, that, would we yeah. start it in Florida? Well, on the Farm Bureau thing, yeah, it's, it's state by state. Six okay. states have done it. Florida, you need to, you know, ideally folks would call up the Florida Farm Bureau and say, do you offer health uh, benefits? No, we don't. Well, why not? Why, why, why don't you do that? We, that's a product we would love to have as members, sort of build a movement for that. And also maybe mention that, you know, you could, that, that plan could be exempted from Obamacare and it could be really a great option for Floridians who are suffering under the high cost of health insurance. I think it's a doable thing, and I would love to have your help in doing it. You obviously are well-connected here. You've been in Florida a lot longer than I have, and, uh, you know, let's do it. Let's make it happen. Well, I'll do what I can do. I'm going to look into it. Something I like to get involved with is changes that uh, really take place at the root uh, level, you know, uh, from which everything else descends or ascends, depending upon how you look at it. But uh Hey, but it's been really a great conversation, and uh, we'll have to stay in touch. And uh, we put this out on the wordscottfiles.com. It also goes out to rumble.com, and it goes to many, many different platforms. So uh, if you need a link to it, let us know. We'll send you a link, and uh, you can use it as you want to um, in, in any way you want to, and we'll continue this uh, conversation. And I'll look into this. I'll get back with you, Dean. And thanks so much for coming on the Word Scott Files. Everybody have a great weekend. We're going to have a little chilly. We may have the first fire here uh, in the fireplaces, in the fire pits here uh, in the piney woods of north central Florida. God's country, we're still hanging on to the rural lifestyle as best we can. Take care and have a great weekend. And, Dean, I really enjoyed it. Bye-bye. It's my, my pleasure.